Now, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were just kind of making it up as you went along? You were guessing how it should, should play out because you'd never been in that type of situation before. For me, I remember when I was trading in uh, my first car to get another car. Um, that was that type of situation. My wife and I, we, we stopped at a used car sales lot, and there was a, there was a newer car there that I, I liked. And it was like, for me, it was like, oh, this, this looks cooler than the car I'm driving. So I think I, I kind of want this car. And I was admiring it. And a salesman kind of was like, easy bait, easy prey. Um, and he, he comes up, and he's like, you like this car? And I was like, yes. And so it was like, somehow I find myself sitting in his office. And it's kind of like, how, how did this, I wasn't planning on this, but I'm, I'm sitting in his office. And, and we're talking about, okay, here's what you can get for your, your car and use it towards this, this newer car. It's like, okay. But I, I'm realizing like, man, I've never done this before. This is completely new to me. And I'm guessing as we go along as to how this should play out. I haven't done any research as to what my car was worth or what would be the uh, fair price for this newer one. And so I'm just kind of like, well, you seem to know what you're doing. I'll just kind of go along with this, which you should not really do uh, when trying to sell a car. But uh, I ended up getting that vehicle. It worked out. We weren't like financially crippled by my poor uh, planning or anything like that. But it was like, in that moment, I was like, okay, it's important to know what you're doing going into these situations. It would make things a lot better. Now, have you ever kind of felt that way when it comes, if you're a Christian, to sharing your faith? Like Jesus tells us that we are to share the good news of what he has done for us with others so that they might know. But have you ever kind of been like, man, I don't even know where to begin? And you kind of are guessing and you're going like, I'm going to make this up on the fly. I mean, I, I have been there before. Now, here's the thing. This morning, I just want to take a little bit of time and talk about kind of one of the methods, one of the things Jesus did when he was engaging people and sharing the good news. And if we don't know where to begin, Jesus is always the best place for us to begin. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And here we're introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. And so it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now, during the time Jesus was on earth, living in Palestine, the Roman Empire was kind of occupying Palestine, that it was kind of controlling the Jewish people's lands. And they say that this was a time of peace, and it was, yes, but it was peace by force. It was kind of this. If you did anything that stepped out of line with what Rome said was okay to do, there were Roman soldiers there to put you back in line. 
And if they wanted to, they'd just say, like, let's make an example of this guy, and you might end up on a cross. So it's kind of like, if you do what this guy does, this is what happens to those types of people. And so this is kind of what the Jewish people are living under. Now, throughout history, people have always looked for quick ways to get rich. It's like, we want easy money. Now, if you wanted to become rich quickly in ancient Palestine, here was the way you did it. You became a tax collector for the Roman government. The Romans would hire Jewish men to collect taxes from their fellow Jewish citizens on behalf of Rome in order to continue help funding Rome's kind of domain, dominion over their lands, and then put more money in the pockets of Rome so they can expand the empire, future conquests. Now, almost all Jewish people looked at a tax collector and says, you know what, you you are a mercenary. You are a thief because you collect taxes willingly. You work for the enemy. And most tax collectors are a part of a system that, that like, people just know this is what's happening. They, they cheat people out of their money. That they take more money than they need to for personal advantage. Essentially, they steal from their fellow citizens and they become wealthy quite quickly. And so the Jewish people, they view a tax collector as a treasonous sinner. Now, I don't know, in our culture, I don't know if we have an equivalent, but we, we, it wouldn't be hard for us to imagine this. Now think about what's taking place in Ukraine right now. Imagine a Ukrainian citizen voluntarily begins collecting money from their fellow Ukrainian citizens on behalf of the Russian government. A place where Russia has, has the army's commands forcibly taken Ukrainian territory, committed some crimes and other atrocities. Now this, this person begins collecting money from their fellow Ukrainian citizens on behalf of the Russian government. And that money that they collect goes into the Russian government's pockets to continue funding their war against Ukraine. And this person is willingly working for the enemy. Now, here's the thing. This person also begins collecting more than they need to from their fellow citizens. And they begin putting it in their pockets. And so while their fellow citizens are struggling, maybe having a hard time providing for their family and making ends meet, this person who's working for the Russian government, they're having like, they're making money. They're, they're wealthy. And people, how, how are people going to feel towards that person? Well, they're not going to be welcome very many places. They're, they're, it's not somebody you're going to have warm feelings towards. Now, this is kind of the life of a Jewish tax collector. You're willingly working for our enemy. Now, they're not going to be welcome at many places. And, and Zacchaeus, he's not your average tax collector. He is a, a, a chief tax collector for the area, which means he's got a district. There's other tax collectors who work for him. They report back to him. And so again, Zacchaeus has made himself extremely wealthy at the expense of others. Now, people look at Zacchaeus again, they see an enemy. They see somebody who values money above family, country, and neighbor. And you're going to, okay, who is not going to resent somebody who is like that? Now, Jesus, he comes walking down the road, and he stops under the sycamore fig tree that Zacchaeus is up in, and he looks up, and people are probably thinking, this rabbi is going to put Zacchaeus in his place. He's going to, he's going to say, Zacchaeus, you are a horrible person. Like, you, you should not be living. What a terrible person you are. You've, you've abandoned God's people. You've betrayed your faith. You are working for the enemy. You have no inheritance in God's kingdom. Who do you think you are? 
This is what people probably expect Jesus to say, but Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, and he shocks everybody, Zacchaeus included, when he says, Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your home today. I've shared sometimes in previous messages that I was in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts growing up. And I enjoyed that program. I learned lots. I had a lot of fun. Like, I loved the camping trips. But the thing that I hated most about being part of the a scout troop was this, the uniform. It was just like, couldn't you pick something that was a little, can't we get jerseys or something? Because the uniform was like this brown shirt and it had epaulets on and you had a sash with badges on and a neckerchief and then you had the beret. And I was like, man, we're just going to get beaten up if we wear these things. Now, I remember in grade four, I was in school one day, and, and one of the guys who was in my, my scout troop, I, I just see him, I can remember, he's walking across the lobby, and he's got his scout uniform. He wore his scout uniform to school, and he's walking proudly across there, like, like I'm pretty impressive with this, this scout uniform on, and he sees me, and he, he goes to wave, and I'm just like, nope, nope. I didn't see that wave. I don't know this guy. And throughout the day, he, he kept trying to kind of come over and, and talk to me. And I was like trying to avoid him because in my mind, it's like, man, if people see me with you and you're wearing that uniform, they're going to put things together and we're going to get beaten up. Are you trying to ruin my image or something here? And this is what I was thinking. Now, this is what it would be like, again, kind of for Zacchaeus is that, that Zacchaeus, he's a social outcast because of his job, and people don't want to get near Zacchaeus because it's going to be bad for their image. His, his image, his sinfulness could rub off on them, affect them. And so people avoid Zacchaeus. And aside from the Roman officials and soldiers that he interacts with, the people that work for him, and people who are like, Zacchaeus, you got money, you have all the coolest things in your house, I want to be your friend, Zacchaeus isn't well-liked. He's got mostly enemies. Zacchaeus has chosen a way of life that has made him an outcast. He's, he's probably one of the most hated men in all of Jericho. Like if Zacchaeus were to go suddenly missing one day, and people, like, people aren't going to be lining up, it's like, okay, we've got to join this search party, we've got to bring Zacchaeus home, we missed that dude, Let, let's go find him. Like there's going to be people, people are going to be like, man, who cares, it's Zacchaeus. If they go to, like, maybe go, okay, he's been missing a while. We need a list of suspects who might have caused his disappearance. It's going to be a long list because Zacchaeus has, has done things that is going to make him a lot of enemies. There's a lot of suspects who might want to deal with Zacchaeus. So nobody likes Zacchaeus. Nobody really wants to go near Zacchaeus' home. Nobody wants to sit at his table. Zacchaeus is the enemy. So this is why people are so shocked that Jesus would go, I'm going to be a guest in your home today, Zacchaeus. Because in the eyes of the people, that's not good for Jesus' image. image. It's not going to be good for Jesus' reputation. Jesus has just openly and boldly identified himself with a notorious sinner. And people are going, why would Jesus want to be his guest? Why would he knowingly go into a tax collector's home? Why is he being nice? Why is he giving notice and special attention to a guy like Zacchaeus? This man has betrayed his people. He's betrayed God by betraying his people. Now Jesus answers all of those questions a little later on in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 where it says, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. And this, this kind of summarizes what Jesus was about while he was here on earth. 
This, this is, summarizes his purpose. It's, he's there to seek and save those who are lost. Now, the word lost is, is significant. Like, when, when something is lost, a, a simple definition is this. It's not where it is supposed to be. It has gotten out of place. It's like, you're, you're looking for your car keys. They're, they're, they're lost. Well, they're supposed to be on the hook. Why aren't they there? They've gotten out of place. They're not where they're supposed to be. Now, Jesus says he's come to seek and save those who are lost. What does he mean by that? Well, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, it says, It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Now, we're living in this age where people are trying to put forward this perfect image. It's like our Instagram reels, like, look how together my life is. Look how perfect my life is. But in reality, we're just kind of putting out the highlight reel. We don't show people, like, the bad times. It's like, kid just threw up, picture. It's, it's not that. It's like, car just broke down, picture. We don't put that out there. And despite how together a person's life might be, how perfect it might seem, nobody is sinless. Nobody is perfect that we all sin. We all fall short of what God calls us to do. Like, think of it this way. If you were to take the Ten Commandments and turn it into a test, none of us will score 100% on that test. It's like, have you, have you been angry with your parents? Have you dishonored your parents? Have you, have you um, been jealous of somebody else? Okay, we're not, we're not scoring 100%. You take Jesus' application of the Ten uh, Commandments and you apply yourself to that. It's like, man, you just flat out fail. You don't even come close to passing. Now, every person... We're lost. We were created to be with God, but we're not where we're supposed to be because our sin separates us from God. And being separated from God means that we don't live forever physically. We don't live forever spiritually as we were meant to be. And so this is what Jesus is saying. I've come to seek and save those who are lost. But the problem is this, that he has to do it because we are hopelessly lost on our own that there's nothing that we can do on our own to find our way back to where we are supposed to be. Now in Luke chapter 15, so four chapters before Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells three parables about things that are lost. And it teaches us something important about what Jesus thinks about those who are lost. The first parable is this, that there is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but he notices that one of those 100 sheep is missing. And what does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he goes and finds that one sheep to bring that sheep home. And the point of the parable is this. The shepherd knows his sheep. He, he knows his sheep well. And so he notices when one is lost. And here's what Jesus knows about Zacchaeus, that, that Zacchaeus is lost. Jesus knows Zacchaeus. When he stands under the sycamore fig tree, Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. He doesn't use like derogatory uh, terms that would often be applied towards hated tax collectors. Jesus also knows beyond just Zacchaeus' name. He knows all Zacchaeus' sins, his hurts, his failures, his pains. And so when Jesus is going to go into Zacchaeus' home, nobody has to go like, do you know who he is? Here's the dirty laundry that, is, that, that, that Zacchaeus has. Here's, here's a list of all the ways he's, he's sinned and failed. Like, Jesus is aware of all of that, and yet he goes into Zacchaeus' home. Again, in Luke chapter 15, 
Jesus tells a story about a woman who loses a silver coin. And what does she do when she realizes it's missing? She, she kind of tears the house apart and then starts putting it back together until she finds that coin. And when she finds it, what does she do? She, she rejoices. Why? Because that coin has value. Now, we'll only search for something if we deem that it has value. Like, for example, say if you have kids and it's like they've got a McDonald's Happy Meal toy and you were at a park and they had their toy with them, they're playing with it, but then you get home later and they're like, I forgot my toy at the park. And they're like, we got to go back. And you're like, man, that park's like 20 minutes back. You know what? We're not doing it. It's just a McDonald's toy. It's going to break tomorrow. I was going to throw it in the garbage when you forgot about it anyway. So we're not, maybe I'm a bad parent just confessing here. But I was like, it's a McDonald's toy. Like, I'm not going back for that thing. Not worth the gas. I don't think it has value. It's not really worth it. But imagine your child loses their stuffed animal. Their blanket that they can't sleep without. It's like, man, we got to get in the car. We got to go find. We're bringing that blanket home. My daughter won't sleep without that blanket. So we're going to go find that thing. Why? Because it has value to her and her sleep. Uh, that's valuable to me because I want to sleep as well. So we're going to go find that blanket. We don't find it. It's like we're, we're asking people, social media posts out there. Like, have you, let's find this blanket, everybody. Like, top priority. We will only search for something if we deem it has value. And Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' home because Jesus values Zacchaeus. When Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, again, he doesn't see a hated tax collector. He sees somebody who God created, who bears God's image, someone who, who God values. And because he bears God's image, he has intrinsic worth. That, that for, for Jesus, Zacchaeus is worth searching for. Now, the final parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, kind of in this parable of, or trio of lost parables, is, is, is the parable of the prodigal son. This son essentially says to his father, man, I wish you were dead because when you're dead, I get what's coming to me, all that money, my inheritance. So like, let's just kind of speed this up. Can I have my share of the inheritance? And the father actually gives his son what he wants. Here's your half the inheritance, son. The son packs it all up. He leaves home. He goes off to a foreign country. He has a great life for a while. He's partying. He's got lots of friends. Things are great. But then his money runs out. And then there's a famine. And things aren't going so good. And he finds himself essentially living amongst the animals, jealous of what they eat. And he's going, what am I doing here? In my father's home, all the servants, they eat well. They're taken care of. And here I am, like, living jealous amongst the pigs. And so he goes home and he's like, man, maybe dad will let me work in his home. But before he gets a word out, his father's there and he's, he's hugging him. He's celebrating. He's putting a robe and a ring on his finger. And why does this happen? Because the father loves his son. The child has come home. He's where he's supposed to be. And Jesus came looking for Zacchaeus that day to save what was lost. He was there to return this child to the place he's supposed to be as a child of God. And this is why Jesus would go into the home of a notorious sinner, because Jesus loves Zacchaeus. And Jesus' visit, it changes Zacchaeus. It's this turning point in his life where he recognizes Jesus as his Lord. He stops living, pursuing money, but he lives to pursue the will of his Lord. And notice what Jesus says about Zacchaeus in verse 9. He says this, this, is, this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now, if you're like me, 
you read that, you go, okay, cool. Abraham. Heard about that guy earlier in the Bible. And we miss the significance of what's taking place there. Again, Zacchaeus is an outsider amongst the Jewish people. For, for all his adult life, he's probably heard this. It's like, you have no inheritance in Israel. You're not one of God's people. You're not going to get into the kingdom. God doesn't love you. You're not one. And he's probably reminded of this constantly by his Jewish um, countrymen. It's like, you have no part in this. And almost every person in Jewish society has excluded Zacchaeus. And Jesus comes along and he restores Zacchaeus as one of God's people. He brings him back into the family. And for Zacchaeus, this is significance, or significant. It means that eternal life, the kingdom of God are available to him. That God has not shut him out. God has not given up on him. And Zacchaeus, he finds what his money could never buy him, acceptance by God. Zacchaeus discovers what every human being craves to know. We feel it deep down inside that our lives matter, that the maker of all things, he loves you and he wants you. Zacchaeus learns that he is known, he's valued, he's loved by God. And the Bible clearly declares that you are known, you are valued, you are loved by God. It's not for anything that you've done. It's not for anything that you haven't done. It's simply because God is good. The gospel declares, again, that God knows and he values and loves every person, and this is why he sent his son, to seek and save those who are lost. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So we kind of sang about this earlier, but it's this, that Jesus Christ steps off his throne. He enters into creation. He puts on flesh. He gets into the mess. He lives the life we couldn't live, the perfect life. But yet he goes, he dies on a Roman cross. He dies a guilty man's death, even though he's innocent. And he's buried. And he does this for us, for the forgiveness of our sin. He takes our place But he also rises again, proving that God has power over sin and death. And so Jesus has come looking for the lost. He pursues them so that they can be found. And this is this is amazing. Like there's no other no no other news like this. Like if you take every other world religion and philosophy and you kind of lay them out, here's what you're going to find. If you want to get back to God or the gods, or become one with the universe, or get to paradise, or whatever the ideal is, it's this, it's on you. You better start seeking that. You better try hard. You better do something to kind of get God's attention, or the universe's attention, impress them, as that hopefully, that you'll get their attention, they're going, man, impressive work. You get to go to heaven. Or at least it's like, man, you outperform everybody else, kind of like being the fastest one to outrun a bear. You get there first so that nobody else gets there, and you get heaven. Like, that's kind of what it's like. But here's what the gospel says, is that you can't do that. It says that you don't need to get God's attention. You already have God's attention. That God is waiting with open arms for you to come to him. Now, maybe you're like Zacchaeus, and you've made some choices in your life that have led you to this place that isn't desirable. 
that have led you away from God. You've chose to do what you thought was best. You've carefully built this life or a career that you thought, man, I get that stuff. It's going to be good. But you've gotten there and you go, man, this isn't what I thought it would be. Maybe you've made choices that have exiled you from your family or friends. Maybe others have told you or made you feel or you've come to believe that you're unwanted by God, that you're so totally lost, that you have no value to him, that God, when he looks at you, he's like, just wait till I get my hands on you. Can't wait. I'm going to punish you. Maybe because of the things you've done, the things you've thought, you think that God has just given up on you. And some of us have convinced ourselves that we're totally unlovable. Now, here's the thing. God knows you. Nobody has to lay out your list of dirty laundry to God and go like, man, do you know what this person's guilty of? God knows it all. But what God knows about you is not enough to make God stop loving you, to make God stop pursuing you. That Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. And for those who will trust in him as Lord and Savior, says you can be forgiven. That heaven will throw a party because that lost child has come home. Now, this is what the gospel says, but it doesn't stop there, that when we become a disciple, when we accept Christ, Jesus doesn't just say, okay, wait till heaven comes or I take you there, just, just, just wait it out. He says, no, get involved. He invites you to be a part of the mission by sharing the good news with others. But here's where we kind of began. This is where we're going, like, how do I do that? Where do I begin? And sometimes when we don't know where to begin, we just don't do it. Now, the best thing we can do as disciples of Jesus is to follow the methods of Jesus. And if you see this in in today's text, and if you read the Gospels, pay attention to this. This is what Jesus does. He goes to the people who are on the outskirts often. He enters the home nobody else will enter. He sits at the table nobody else will sit at. He sees the people nobody else will see. He engages the person everybody else avoids. And every day you, you see people who meet those or fit those descriptions. Like in elementary school, there was a little girl, I remember. Um, she played by herself at recess every day, just, just for years. In junior high, there was a guy in my class that pretty much like every group project, nobody would partner with him. The teacher was kind of like, okay, it's your turn to work with him. Like the teacher had to assign a partner to him every time. In high school, there was a guy every day at lunch, he sat alone at a table by himself. And in every sphere of life, whether it's at school, at work, wherever it is, you know there are people who struggle to belong. They struggle to participate. Maybe they're new. Maybe they have some struggles that make them different. Maybe they're like Zacchaeus. They've just made some choices that have put them on the outside. And our tendency is like, let's avoid these people because they're a bit different. They might be a little bit odd. They don't think or act like we do, but we need to remember that these are the very people that Jesus Christ moved towards. That he didn't look at a person and go, undesirable. That he he saw every person as having value and worth. And so we should too. So if you're serious about looking for opportunities to share your faith and make a difference in the lives of others, a great place to start is this. Sit at the table nobody else will sit at. Go to the person nobody else will go to. Partner with the person nobody else will partner with. Talk to the person nobody else is talking to. Now, here's, here's my caution in this. As Christians, sometimes we can turn evangelism into kind of a, a project or people into a project. And we look at a person and, and we think that way. We have to remember this person is a person. They're, they're not a project to complete. They're not a problem 
to solve. And so as we go to people, we must go in the way that Jesus went to them. And so we must get to know them, learn people's names, ask open-ended questions, invite people to share about their lives and their passions. And when you take an interest in a person and, and, and want to know about them, that's going to go a long way. It shows that you value that person, and we must value them as well. Even if this person believes or thinks differently than we do, they bear God's image. God has said they have worth. Jesus made a statement of their worth when he died for them on the cross. And we need to decide that, you know what, as we interact with people who might not believe the same things we do or do the same things we do, that we're not going to treat anybody as worse than we are or make them feel that they are worse than us in some way. Like if you've been married for a few years, um, it doesn't take, like you leave that puppy love phase. And, and those things that used to be cute in the beginning, and you're like, ah, oh, that's endearing. I love that about them. They stop being that way at a certain point. And it's like, there, there's these little things you start to notice as you spend time with them. It's like, man, that's, that's kind of annoying. That's a little weird. Now, entirely hypothetical. Stop looking at your spouse. Like, don't, don't start like listening. Here's what it is for you. But like, entirely hypothetical. Nobody's going to report back on my wife about this. So I'm just, here's a list. But maybe it's like this. I don't like the way you leave that toilet seat. You breathe weird. Why do you chew this way? When, it's so annoying when you do this. And it's like these things we start to notice. And maybe if you were to mention it to them, here's the thing. They're going to go, no, okay. I've got a list for you as well. Here are all those little annoyances, those things that you do. And you discover you're not nearly the, the perfect partner that you thought you are. Now, my wife, she doesn't have a list. Uh, she's still trying to come up with one to put on there. She's struggling for it. But here's the thing. I'm just joking. What we have to remember is this. Sometimes when we look at people and we go, man, that, that, I don't like that about that person. That, that's wrong or that, 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 that grinds on me. Or we look at their sin. We have to remember this, that their sin simply might manifest itself in a different way than sin manifests itself in your life. That you have your own struggles as well. And so despite all my sin, all my irritations, all my imperfections, here's what I know. God still loves me. Despite that person's sins and their imperfections and their annoyances and their irritations, God loves them. And so we must love them, even if they're hard to love that Jesus saw nobody as undesirable, and so we must not see them that way either. Now, here's, here's what I want to say. In the time we're living in, love is kind of defined as, man, we just celebrate everything, and we, we endorse everything, because that's, that's what loving is. That's not the way Jesus Christ loved people. Jesus would, would call people out. He would call them higher. He would encourage them if they need to be encouraged. He spoke the truth in love. Love is what is doing what is best for the person. That's the way we must love people, but speaking the truth in love. Now, I'm not going to promise you that if you do all of this, that you get to know this person, you demonstrate that you value them, that you love them, that they're going to be like, okay, what must I do to be saved? I want to accept Jesus right now. It might, it might not. But here's what I know. If we want to succeed in the mission that Jesus gave us as disciples, we need to make choices to engage with people of different political, ethnic, sexual, and economic backgrounds than ours. And for some of us, that was, we might go, well, that's weird. 
Like, are, are you sure about that? No, I'm sure. Because if we refuse to engage with people, again, who do not think or act the same way we do, we're never going to have an opportunity to share the reason for our hope. And people are longing for hope. They want to know that there's more than what this world offers. They're hungry for something more, just like Zacchaeus was. And we have what people want to know, that they're known, they're valued, they're loved by the maker of all things, that the maker of all things loves them and wants them. And when you understand that, when you get that good news, that can change your life. And as it changes a life, it can change a family. And a family can change a community. And a community can change a city. And it can go beyond.